Hello everybody, I'd like to introduce Kevin McAreevy. Kevin is the principal of Holy Cross Boys School in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Kevin has been principal for the past 10 years at this school and he's also been a teacher in the Ardoyne area of Belfast for the last 26 years. I should add that Holy Cross Boys School is also in the Ardoyne area. Kevin is the main protagonist in the documentary film Young Plato, a film about hope, peace and reconciliation. I had the privilege of seeing this film a year ago. It is a moving, inspirational film that genuinely questions the assumptions and what I call as unconscious biases that the society and its people can often be ingrained with. And in this film, there is what I call a hero. And that hero is the person who you see on the screen, Kevin. When I saw the film, I knew that I had to interview Kevin. Kevin is visionary as an approach to educating boys. And then this got me thinking, hmm, what about Kevin's stories? Why does Kevin do what he does? What stories does he have that influenced him? So I reached out to Kevin and I am so thrilled that you have agreed to be on my podcast, Stories Seldom Told. Thank you so much, Kevin, and welcome. It's an absolute pleasure, all the way from sunny Belfast. Love being here. And I was in rainy monsoon Delhi. <laughs> so sunny Belfast and rainy monsoon Delhi. And here we are talking about your story, Seldom Told, in relation to you and who you are and what you do. So you've talked about sunny Belfast and my introduction of you. I also talked about a place called Ardoin, which is where your school is and which is where you live in. Um, just for the purpose of helping the listeners a little bit before we continue the conversation, could you just give us a sort of a little a brief history lesson on Belfast, Ardoin, um, so it gives us some context when we continue our conversation? Yeah, I, I think um, the, the readers need to realise that uh, Belfast is, is, is a big, big city in, in the north of Ireland, Northern Ireland, whatever way you want to say it. And uh, we are in North Belfast and we are like a small enclave um, of um, Catholics and we're completely surrounded by our, our Protestant um, neighbours. And you cannot get into Ardoin unless you, you pass through our Protestant neighbours. Uh, I think it's one of the, the, the greatest examples of Jerry Mandarin probably um, today in, in, in Britain, Great Britain. How so? Can you, why would you say that? Well, I would say that because, uh, you know, the, the vote never counted here uh, if, if you lived in Ardoin because you're completely surrounded um, by thousands and thousands of Protestants. So the vote in if you lived in Ardoin uh, never really counted. So uh, that's that's why, why it's a great example of Jerry Mandarin. Um, Holy Cross Boys sits in in uh, Ardoin and uh, it's a, a highly socially deprived area. Um, but that doesn't stop us giving our children the greatest education uh, sort of experiences that, that they can get. And, and young Plato is, is one example of that in respect of um, how we make them so articulate, so confident, and so um, want, always wanting to be in front of that screen and express their opinion and, and get involved in judgments and, and have real adult conversations about real adult themes. Uh, so. Belfast, uh, you, you know, it, it, it's a big part of the Troubles. Um, I grew up in Troubles. I, I was born in 1969. 
and uh, so Christmas is 16 and, and I lived in, in North Belfast. I was born in North Belfast in Tyndale and we were burned out uh, of our home in 1969 and we had to move over to West Belfast. And, um, the reason my... being, and the reason being, why did you have to move out of your home? Well, we, we were intimidated. Yeah, it, it, it was the onset of the troubles um, and uh, we were intimidated of our home, uh, as, as many Catholics were and as many Protestants were as well. Uh, you, you know, it, it was just the onset of the troubles and we, we had to relocate into West Belfast where I, I spent all of my sort of um, younger sort of time um, right, right up until I was a teenager. And, um, you know, they, they were trying times um and it was it was sort of um you had a wee bit of ptsd with regards to the in the flooding in of, of the british army into our areas uh, uh it's you, all, all of our fathers in at that time were, were all rounded up and and uh, interned and our our mothers were left to sort of um take charge of the, of the upbringing and the education of, of, of the young ch children that they had in the households. Now, um, that didn't stop the British Army sort of with their brutality, um, sort of kicking doors down and pulling children out of beds and dogs in your face, um, your, your mother being injured with a gun in her face. Um, you know, so... so I, I think that I, I may have been brought up with an unconscious bias right there, you know, from my okay, very... Okay, before we, before we even ask you what that means and what unconscious bias, we better ask you what those words mean to you then. Well, I talk you know, about it all the time, but how do you understand I, it? I, I know you do. Uh, so a, a bias, obviously, is, is a sort of a preference that, that, that you would have. And, and sometimes you know that you have a preference, sometimes you don't know you have a preference. And, and I suppose it depends on prior experience and your own personal sort of deep-seated thought patterns, assumptions or interpretations. And, and unconsciously means that, you know, you don't really know what's there. You know, yeah. sometimes it will just present itself um, whether it's in, in a group situation and on, a, on a, an individual basis. And, and yeah, yeah, you have to sort of be aware of it and sort of retrain your mind because, you know, we're, we're born with them. Like, and, and I'll give you an example of, of an affinity bias as a principal. Uh, I, I, when I walked into the staff room, I would have gravitated to the men because we never talked about football and talked about the, the, the maybe movies had been to and, and, and having the crack with jokes. And, and then I would have always sort of um, moved to the men. And, and I had to sort of check myself and say, listen, you're, you're the principal of, of, of everybody here. You know, we, so I, I made a more conscious effort to, to gravitate to more to the women. And, uh, yeah. and, 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 you know, I, I wasn't aware of that. I really wasn't until one of the women says, you, you know, you always go to the men. I go, oh, God, you know, and, uh, yep, and that's, that, and that's what it was. Oops, oh, oh dear. So I think you, you need to better understand your, your sort of own feelings and experiences to feel inspired to be inclusive for all, you know. But then, no, let me take you back because I rudely interrupted you to ask you what you understand by unconscious bias. But you said um, something that was very powerful that most young children would not have experienced. You witnessed someone putting a gun to your mother's face yes. and hurting her physically. She was yes. injured to her face. Because my, of the my mother, yeah, um, because of the, the actual point of the gun on her face, she had to have seven stitches on her cheek 
and she still has a scar to this day. My mum's still uh, still alive, and and I'm very thankful for my mother because I certainly wouldn't be here talking to you today if it wasn't for her and wasn't for her her powerful words, which laid the powerful change in my life. Um, she made sure that education stayed at the forefront of my mind and that I didn't go down the pathway of um, sectarianism or didn't go down a pathway of antisocial behaviour or, or um, I, I suppose, paramilitarism. Um, she kept me on the, on the straight and narrow and, and I'm very, very thankful for that. And thankfully, uh, maybe due to her unconscious bias, <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is probably why I, I sit here today. Uh, uh, as a as a principal, because you know you were born and bred in in Lenadoon and um, you know there isn't too many as, aspirations or expectations uh, for for children in, in a working class area, and um, thankfully. Uh, were you born in the Ardoin area as well? No. I, I I was born in North Belfast, but not okay. in the Ardoin area. Yeah. Oh, so um, I was born in the Protestant area. So it was. And you are um, Catholic. Let's just get the record straight so that yes. all the listeners, I've, we're all on the same page then. You are Catholic in terms of your religion and, yes. you were, and you're obviously born and brought up at a time when there have been troubles in Belfast and the rest of Northern Ireland um, yes. because of the troubles between Catholics and Protestants. And you were born in a predominantly Protestant area. Yes. Because these things... You know, these are these things you take for granted, but I think it's important for us to appreciate quite what that means because you're going to tell us more stories, and I and I yeah. want us to remember all this so we understand and appreciate your stories even better. Okay. Yes. Um, so, if if, um, if if I I continue on to um, in, with with regards to. Uh, being being at the sort of heart of of Lanadoon and um, having having a mother and friends sort of all sort of connected connected around us. See, you have to understand and appreciate that a, a fella like me uh, who who was brought up in West Belfast, we really didn't venture outside of West Belfast. Okay, so I I, I only would have encountered um, Catholic friends and Catholic home, Catholic schooling. Um, there wasn't, there was, there was no blacks in, in our area, you know. There, there really wasn't. And and you know what? I would have had a, a bias, an unconscious bias, whenever I saw a black person, right? Because I, I didn't know any black people. I had no experience of them. I didn't know anything really about their culture. So, growing growing up in in Lenadoon, um, sort of gave all of us that that sort of un, unconscious bias. And I knew as a principal, I was going to change that. I was going to change my way um, and, and for, for the children of this area, for, for my friends, for my family. And what I did was um, I connected with Africa through the Pisces priests. And I went out to help uh, all, of the, all of those black children. And it was, it was beautiful because we, we, we built schools and, I, and I, I taught in the schools and I built wells and, and I built a hostel and, and worked in orphanages. And, and you know what? I, I even, even smashed the HIV and AIDS bias, you know, that you, you're, you're going to get this if you come and contact these kids. I was holding these kids. I was hugging them. I was helping them. I played football with them. And it was absolutely beautiful because, you know, when, when AIDS and um, HIV and AIDS first, you know, hit, you know, oh my God, you know, don't go near this. Yeah. 
I mean, these, these children have it, and it's and it was through no fault of their own. Mum and dad had died, and uh, they were put into orphanages, and uh, they, they wouldn't have had the same experiences as the children of uh, Ardoin, uh, believe it or not. And what we did for them was, was absolutely beautiful because we organized a bus into the orphanage and we took them out of it and we took them to the zoo. Wow. Gee, it was just unbelievable. They, did you take children from uh, from your school there or were you only going adults to that school? Well, because of child protection, we could only go as, a, as adults. So, so I mean, it was it was classroom assistance. It was a lollipop lady. It was a parent. It was a caretaker. It was the, sure. it was the whole way across um, all of the staff. But no, let's um, go back to the beginning, though, Kevin, because I think I think from my perspective, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves because you're already sharing a story about you being a principal and the amazing good work you're doing. But I w- I would like to know, and the listeners would like to know, especially if they see the film, a little bit more of you, you, Kevin. And what is it that's influenced you instinctively, unconsciously yeah. to make the decisions that you have? Yeah. So let's go back. Let's go back 10, 15, 20, 26 years you've been a teacher. Let's go yeah. back to 30 years ago. Yeah. Or five years ago, you choose and share a story with us. Yeah. Well, he, he, here's, here's what, here's what the, the listeners will love about me. I, I jump. I'm a jumper. Okay? You jump. Okay. I'll, I'll, you I'll jump. jump. Jump away. Okay. So, um, with, 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 okay, so so going going back to the learning, you had to learn to be a fighter, okay? And that was a bias within me. You know, I had to be a physical fighter to make it, to make to to make it through life. You know, and this 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 was this was ingrained in me. This was something that I, I thought, right? You know, in order for you to 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 make it into secondary education or to make it through life, you you had to fight. You had to learn to physically fight because we had the British Army in our area, and and this is this is what we had to do. Now, there wasn't much to do. There was no internet. There was oh, there was no phones. Um, you know, you, you, you're in the street, and you, you lived on the street. You know, you, you really did, and. It was only only as I sort of get up, sort of into my teens, that I realised, listen, you got to channel this anger and this and this um, s- sort of passion that you have for fighting, and and go into a club, and go into and and discipline yourself. You know, learn to control it, learn to control an anger that you have built and within you. That's that's through no fault of your own. It's it's through the fault of growing up in, in an area like Lanadoon, in an area where violence was the order of the day. It was a norm. It was it was normal for violence. It was normal to throw stones and rocks and bottles at the British Army. It was normal to get it with bin lids, you know, that the the, 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 the lids that used to be put on bins, they were iron. And you took them off the bin and you used to beat them off the street to alert everybody else in the area that the British army were coming in. You know, so yeah, this, this I'm was trying to visualize this, Kevin, because you know, you said it was normal. Violence was normal. That's the word you chose to use. Yes. Yes. And and it was normal to to beat people up. It was normal to throw things yeah. or belt people or any of that. So yeah. what mo- most people, when we hear the word violence, is instinctively, uh, uh, it's an unusual occurrence, it's a negative one, we worry yeah. about, we have all kinds of other emotions. Whereas 
you as a young person, let's just say 15, 17 years old, didn't even, you know, the, it's also this question of values of right and wrong. Yeah. And if you're saying normal, what does that mean? Are you saying that amongst you and all your peers, it was fine. It was, it was for want of a better word, okay to do this. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it was. It, it, it certainly was. But, and, and that was within a mindset of, of friends. Um, obviously, it wasn't right um, when, when you, you met with your mom and dad and, you know, and you can, I, I would I would begin to say, oh, well, I was out doing such and such. Um, my, my, my mother kept me on straight and narrow, as, as I said to you. Um, but yes, among friends and and and, and among the, the learning doing kids and, and and growing up in that in that sort of environment, yes, uh, we we saw that it was the new normal. And, and so, what gave you the wisdom? Was there a I mean, you said you then went into a gym and you started, uh, you know, getting rid of those pent up anger and tension into yeah. into an environment where you could actually get rid of that emotion by say doing boxing or powerlifting yeah. or whatever, just to. And you're yeah. also getting physically better at the same time, you know, fitter. But yeah. before you had that wisdom to go there, was there something, was there some kind of epiphany? What made you realize this is what you needed to do? I, th I think my mother. My, my, my mother was, was my everything. You know, she really was. Um, she was well clued into the area. She was well clued into um, what, what life was about and and she had many, many pearls of wisdom. And I, I can tell you this, uh, I had friends who, who would have called to, the, to my front door and they had their blue bags. And in their blue bags would have been eight or nine cans of beer um, uh, calling for me, you know, to go up into the fields, to, to sit and have a drink and have a bit of a laugh and cracking jokes. And, and my mum would say, no, no, he's gone down to his grandmother's, but I'd be upstairs studying. And um, so, so I, I, I had never realized this until the mystery of, were you in your granny's again? I said, no, I was, I was, <laughs> I was upstairs and she'd say, son, education. Education is everything. And as, as, is, as is getting physically fit and uh, getting, getting your mind, getting your mind um, right, because obviously um, exercise improves concentration and can help ward off sort of degenerative diseases and all that as we know and i would exercise sort of two to three times a week right and what people don't realize is with exercise it's not about the physical it's also about the mental you know you know it, people need to realize you know it, it it exercise stimulates the release of dopamine and serotonin and noradrenaline and they're all important neurotransmitters in the hu human brain, okay? So dopamine, you know, that's the brain's reward pathway, right? And it reinforces behaviors that are pleasurable and satisfying, okay? And then you have serotonin, which is sort of mood regulation, you know, your sleep, your appetite, and your, your overall sort of emotional well-being. And then the neuro neurodermal, which plays a role in sort of the body stress response, or stress response with regard to increased heart rate, blood pressure, release of glucose for energy. And they're all involved with regulating attention, focus, and alertness. And people need to realize that, that it's not just about the physical, it's about the mental. And if we can get around that bass 
um, you will you will become a whole better person. And this 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 is what my mum did for me, and I didn't realise it. I didn't realise the path that, that that taking me down that educational pathway and taking me down that a physical pathway. I was becoming the complete person. I didn't realise all about all these. So how old at this point? Sorry. How old were you at this point? Uh, I I was seventeen. Yeah. And that is an incredible age if you think about it, you know, men and women. I have three sons. So if I think of my 17 year old sons at the age of, you know, at that point, if they were going, they lived in London and, and it was a calm and peaceful life. They weren't going through any uh, of the issues that you were having to deal with on a day to day. Yeah. And so to have the wisdom um, from your mother uh, and, and a shout out to your mother. What's her name? Rita. Rita, well, Rita, well done you. Uh, as a mom, I know what hard work it is just to bring up a young boy. And you having to bring up that young boy under those circumstances, well, bravo to Rita, honestly. But and there are many other Ritas too, I'm sure. Um, Absolutely. But, but the 17-year-old boy, Kevin, figuring out suddenly, because of what's going on, that I've got to break what I call normal and create a new normal for myself. That's what you're saying you did. Yes. It is. Absolutely. And I have to say that even, even when you're doing that um, and, and you think you have it made and then all of a sudden you start drinking. In comes the drink, you know, and you don't have control. And I, I, do, I do mention this in, in Young Plato that um, drink, drink then brought me back to that person who was in Lenadun, who was the fighter, you know, and I, and when I was drinking, I had no, then didn't have the control of, of my mental health and well-being, and I didn't have control of my physical, physical body. So I had to make that conscious to them. And, and it took many, many sort of different incidents, you know, as a married man, you know, and, and you're, you're married and you, you have children and, and you're going out to have a drink and the next thing you're coming back and you're, Knuckles are busted and your elbows busted and you're going, gee whiz, this this is this is just not me. This is just not the person I want to be. And and I realized that I had an educational path and I realized that for me to be a principal, I need to give this up. I need to give up. Well, at this point, we're fast forwarding a little bit. Yes, when I know I'm a dropper. I told you. No, no, that's good. I'm cool with that. I'm now learning to go back and forth. No issues. I'm 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 following your path. But but this idea of drink and I and and, and thank you, Kevin, for sharing these very personal stories with, with the larger public. Um, because people will learn a lot from your story because it's not just about Northern Ireland, it's not just about Belfast. This is a story of resilience under the odds. This is a story of how we have to self-reflect and grow and learn from yes. whatever is going on around us. Um, and perhaps somebody sitting in, in, in Israel or sitting in Delhi will not have the same experience as you specifically mm -hmm. but they may understand the idea for example of alcohol yeah. and what drink does to us as human beings and yes. i mean you can say no and i'm totally fine with that you said there were two or three incidents that finally made you realize that that needs to also be addressed are you able to share perhaps so it's entirely up to you <laughs> i will i will share one instant uh, with you um I it was at my daughter's christening, and and, and we had hired at the hall, 
and I, I took my daughter um, away to be to be minded. Um, my, my family were all in the in the the hall in the pub, and um, I came back and they refused me entry into the hall. And I was I says, well, I've bought I I I bought the food in. I've paid for the hall. That's all my family in there. He says, I don't care. And I said, well, listen, you know, this is my child's christening. Certainly, why can't I get in? He says, it's packed in there. You're not getting in. We're not letting anybody else in. And I says, but that's, this, is, this, is, this is my do. This is my function. I, I've booked this. I've, I've paid for it. And, and you're refusing me, Andrew. He says, are you deaf? And I thought, okay. So I'd had a couple of drinks. And the next thing, my family found out that I couldn't get in, and, and one of the doormen, um, he then grabbed one of my brothers in, in the hall because he was trying to open the door to, to get me in, and I saw this, so then a fight broke out, and um, it wasn't it wasn't a nice fight to be to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm not very proud of of, of what he did, um, but it could have been worse. And I thought, the more I thought about, you know, you know, I should have just walked away and said, ah, okay, and they're not letting me in. Um, let my family enjoy their night um, and just go back to my child. It's maybe what I should have done, but I didn't. And there was a couple of people who were hospitalized and things like that, and that's, that's not good, you know. So I thought that, that, that was, sorry, there's Elvis. Yeah. You're always on my mind. So um, that, 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 that was it. That was the um, straw that broke the camel's back for me. And I says, that's me double drinking. Hmm. And the Irishman not drinking is also unusual, don't you think? It is. There's Very an unconscious stereotype. People say, right? <laughs> the Scots, the Irish, and the Welsh, and there's something or the other that each supposed stereotype has it happens in india as well it's so common but no let's just come back to that thank you so much for that kevin i appreciate it but no let's just come back now to to where you are now and this amazing wonderful film young plato that i have seen uh, and you are the protagonist i mean you are you know when i see that film and i've seen it more than once i think god those children are so lucky because um and I urge any one of you, I'm not sure where we can find it. I think I, you know, perhaps Kevin can tell us at the end of our interview, but it's, it's a film that's unusual because to me, I'm talking about how I saw it. It is a story of a, of a, of a headmaster, and of course, with support of all your colleagues and staff, to get the children to think for themselves rather yeah. than have them do anything by rote or by discipline or by the metaphorical cane. I know those kind of things don't happen anymore in yeah, today's yeah. Days, in any school, but you know what I mean, by yes, punishment of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and certainly there's a scene in, in the film when one kid is naughty and he is very upset. Now, in any other school, that kid would have been punished. Mm -hmm. But that's not what you did. You had a lovely chat. You talked about philosophy. Yeah. You talked about life. So yeah. could you tell us a little bit more about your life and what it is that made you think that this is what you want to do with the kids? I mean, what is that about? I don't get it. Yeah. 
Um, I, I studied philosophy in Queen's University uh, for a year, and it was all, it was mainly political philosophy. Did it was a bit of Hobbes and Locke and Bentham and Mill and um, John Jacques Rousseau, Karl Marx, and a bit of Machiavelli. I'll put on sort of sort of the mixture of them all. But I, I was really tickled by the thought experiment from Thomas Hobbes on, on identity and change. And he used this ship of Theseus, uh, and, and I thought, wow, this, this is an amazing story. This is what life is all about. You know, uh, at, at what point are, are we not the person that we, that we were? Um, am I still the same person that I was five years ago? Will I still be the same person uh, in, in another five years, you know, so looking at all the identity and changes and all, all the sort of different values that you, that you will go through and um, in, in life. And when I became the vice principal, um, it was, um, God, in 2008, and we what we did was we set up a professional learning community and uh, John Marie's just walked in. Hi, John <laughs> John Marie is the girl. Hi, in the how are you? That's Jamie, the pastoral teacher that was in the movie. Yeah. So she's just walking. So my apologies. I remember. So yes. You remember. But but do you realize she's lost nine stone wow. since the film? Yes, nine stone. Do you remember? Congratulations. The, yeah. Do you remember? It was the bit of the movie where I says Wayne in at, and, you know. There oh, you yeah, go. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Lost name stone from it. What a guy. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, so um, she, she put me right off my train of thought. I love that. I love You're talking about becoming a nice person. Yes, I, I know. So what we did, we, we set up a professional learning community. That's the beauty of these same things. You know, this is real life. This is what happens, you know. So hi. So um, a professional learning community in that with the, the, the senior leadership team with the SLT. And they went off and researched um, educational researchers such as Jeff Petty, Barry Bennett, and um, Edward de Bono. And, and we wanted to bring back ideas that we could bring into our teaching that would help children, right, with, with regards to um, activating their, their, their thinking skills. Okay, so they come back. Edward de Bono's six thinking hats were phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So, anybody out there, you want to do six thinking hats for children it works beautifully it really really does and we, we loved we love what was going on we love the excitement with the children you know bringing in these adult concepts and getting children to do them and we realized i think we're onto something here you know this is this this is, this is great and the outgoing then principal was terry laverty and he said listen try philosophy and i thought well i haven't done philosophy since queen's university and he says, look, try it. I know it's going to be your first year as a principal. You're going to have a lot to do. He says, but try to bring it in. And I thought, Terry, I have enough to do. I'm not being the new principal. He had a laugh. But something just kept getting at me and eating away at me. And I thought, I'm going to. So I did a bit of research over the summer of 2013. And in that summer, I contacted uh, the Philosophy Foundation in London, a guy called Pete Worley phenomenal guy him and Stephen Hoggins and uh, Emma Swim brilliant people so I went over and I was trained um, in, in philosophy in children's philosophy and I thought right okay I'm trained in it but what about the rest of the staff 
you know. So I thought, would you mind coming over and training all my staff? So they came over and they trained the staff and they went back and then they came over and they trained them again and back and forth and I was back and forth. But do you know what the secret was? The classroom assistants. We have in this school 27 classroom assistants and we have 400 children. 27 classrooms. Yep. And I mean 400 boys by the way. So the classroom assistants are the ones who live in this area. They, 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 they were telling the philosophy story. They were spreading it into the shops and into the pubs and into the restaurants and into their houses. They were, they were talking about this beautiful thing that was going on within Holy Cross Boys and getting it into the area so that when I brought it to the parents, it was easy. It was already there. It was already because there. Knew about it. Yeah. Yeah. They were all talking about it and they were all going, oh, this is, this is, this sounds great, this, this philosophy. And then, so when I brought the parents in, they, they knew what they were coming into. They knew already about philosophy, you know? So tell us, share a story with us that you have experienced with one of your boys in school, um, where you have used this idea of philosophy. I mean, not everybody's going to be able to see the film. And yes. I want, and I really, really, really want the listeners to appreciate and understand how unusual you are as a principal of a school, uh, boys or girls. I, I mean, I'm sorry for that. There are no girls in your school because I'm a girl and, yeah. I, and I'm sorry that only these lucky boys are having this experience. But no matter, we'll have to accept what we've got. Um, yeah. You better move on and find another school, sir. <laughs> give, more of your wisdom, give more of your wisdom to other schools. But anyway, I'm interrupting myself. No, what I'd like to know from you um, and for all of us to know is a story where, I don't know, tell us, share a story where something happened and using the idea and the technique of what we call philosophy, children's philosophy, you sat either with a group or with a young one child, I don't mind which, and then what was the outcome? Because I really want us to ask the listeners to, to capture this idea of philosophy and teaching children. Okay, um, I've, I've many stories. Many, many stories. Um, what, one, of, one of the greatest stories you, you'll actually see in the film, um, but uh, there's, there's one I would really love to share with you, and it, it involved primary ones. And I... I, I've okay, how old are the primary ones? I don't want to take anything for four. granted. They're four. four. They're four. Okay. Four, and, four and five. Four and five. Okay. So it, 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 was, it was at the start of their, their primary one year, so they've mostly been four. And... I've written a book called Think, Think, Respond. And Think, Think, Respond has a lot of philosophical inquiries, stories written by the children of Holy Cross. And I bring that book into my lessons with the primary ones. And I, I chose this story called Hard Choices. Okay. And Hard Choices is, is a story written by a boy. And it's about they're stuck in a cave and there's no way out. The, the, exhausted all avenues, but they come across three doors. And they're arguing about the three doors. They're saying, well, which door should we choose? And then one of them notices the sign above the door, choose well. One door is life, the other two are death. So they're, they're going, uh-oh, which door do we choose? And in the story, they eventually choose door one. Because, and door one is the door to life, and they chose well. So I ask the kids, well, 
would you have chosen door one or would you have chosen door two or door three and so this debate goes on um and um one one boy says well you know i i think i would have gone for the middle one sir because you know life is in the middle of death and i said well life is in the middle of death now this is a four-year-old i said hmm what do you mean life is in the middle of death he says well you know i th i think um before we're born aren't we dead and i said yes we are <laughs> Not, uh, not really get this thing of thinking, but yeah, okay, I'll, I'm gonna run with it. And, and he says, and then we're born, I'm given life, and then we die. So life is in the middle of death. And I was like, God, this is a four-year-old teaching the principle, right? Now, the same kid says this too. So the, the, the discussion goes on and, and I says, well, okay, what do you think life and death looks like when you walk through those doors? When you walk through those doors, what does life look like and what does death look like? And of course, uh, death was hell and life was heaven, you know. But the kid who said what I'd said previously said, I disagree, sir. And I said, well, okay. Now, his, his mother is a classroom assistant in this school. And I had to bring her down. After he said this, I had to bring her down and said, you're never going to believe what he said. So we said, well... I, I think that the, the two doors to death are the doors to heaven. Because don't you have to die to go to heaven? And I went, yeah. And he says, and see the door to life? That's a door to your family. That's a door to, to happiness. And I went, oh, my goodness. I... I'm actually bereft of words, and because it's a podcast, I've got to get, I've got to respond. Otherwise, the silence would be too long. <laughs> oh my! I'm trying to absorb what you have said, and make meaning to that, and two or three different levels. One is the wisdom of this four-year-old. Yeah. And the fact that he thinks the way he does. And he sees life holistically, and I and I would love to see him and meet him when he's twenty four years old and see what he's right. up to. Yeah. Um, but equally, the fact that he is in a classroom with a whole bunch of other four year olds, my sons were four once. I remember, yeah, and I yeah. remember the schools they went to. And this little boy has—they're not yet. This is primary one. They have not yet made friends. They don't even know each other. They've just started out. They're four yeah. rising five. And they've not yet started becoming influenced by the other children. This is no. their thoughts, their ideas. And then in amongst this, there's this chap called Kevin sitting there. Yeah. He's listening. And this to me is something for all, because all those of us who are listening to this podcast are not four. They're all adults. And what I want to take away as an adult is that how much do we adults listen when a little child speaks? Correct. So I find at the moment, it's only a slight aggression, right? I am in Delhi and I am living with my elderly mother. My mother is 87. And very often um, she's forgetting certain things and she might repeat and so on. Yeah. And, and I am now beginning to react and respond differently. 
And I was thinking, and then somebody in the house, you know, somebody who, who does some work in the house came in and my mother asked him a question. And that young man looked at me and answered the question. And I asked that man, I said, why did you look at me answer the question? Why did you not ask my mother? She asked you the question. Yes. Why am I even sharing this story? With very little children, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, 10-year-old, yeah. and very old people, those of us in the middle, both you and I included, what we often do is we infantilize them. We do. And what you did, sitting in that room, is you actually sat amongst infants specifically, but you did not infantilize them. No. What's that about, Kevin? Yeah. How come? Yeah. No, listen, and, and, I, and I don't moralize either. I certainly well, don't moralize. I need, I, I've got, listen, there's some magic in here. Yeah. Okay. And I, what I'm trying to do is capture the magic. What yeah. is that about? Here yeah. you are sitting, you're the principal of a school. You've got a bunch of, how many kids in your class in that particular class at that point? Uh, 30. So you've got 34 year olds. Four, four, depending on which month they're born, four rising four, just yeah. four, nearly five, four and a half, whatever. Four rising five, 30 little boys who are beginning to get to know each other, who've never been in formal school. Yeah. First time they're in a school, in that kind of formal environment. And there you are having a philosophy conversation about life and death. Yeah. And that, that is remarkable. I understand and I appreciate that your principal said to you when he gave you the job of taking over from him, your predecessor, that, hey, why yeah. don't you talk about philosophy? I appreciate that. I get that. I also appreciate and understand that you did some studies in that. You went to London, you got them to come, all of that. But yeah. there's a little bit more to that. There's something oh, yeah. else. What is that? Go on. Well, well, there, there certainly is, because um, for, for me, the, the child's voice is, is, is sacrosanct. It's, you know, we, we as, as educators, we, we need to become effective listeners as well. And we need to realize the child is a, is a very, very important resource in the room. We're not the most important resource in the room as, as educators. You know, the, the, the child's voice really, really matters. And, you know, the, 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 as, they, as they grow up, they will be influenced and they will, they will get sets of beliefs and they will, they will obviously have their own unconscious bias. But... I want them to have a voice. I want them to have a voice from their age, from their age four. And I want them to have a voice around many, many different things, not just a voice to, to talk and ask for dinner. I want them to be able to talk about loneliness and happiness and bullying and anger. And I want them to be able to talk about cho hard choices. I want them to be able to talk about um, the fact that uh, what is life's purpose, you know, because they're, they're never ever, and they'll never be asked that until maybe they're adults. Um, so it's, it's important to me that, that they get the opportunity to talk among them themselves and be able to say well, who they agree with and, and who they disagree with and, and, and why they do and, and that it's caring and that it's collaborative and that they're able to, to reevaluate, you know, sometimes they'll get it wrong. You know, and they'll listen and they'll say, well, maybe I did get that wrong. But when, when, I, when, I, when I talk about moralizing, um, you know, I, I, I would talk about um, Plato's, um, have you, ever, you heard of the Ring of Gadgets? 
uh, Plato's Ring of Gyges is is a, a thought experiment where uh, you find an invisibility ring, okay, and you put the invisibility ring on, and what would you do? What would you do if you had a ring of invisibility? And the children will say, well, I would rob a bank. Um, I would go into a shop and steal chocolate. I would I would steal my favorite packet of crisps. I would go in and, and steal money out of my mummy's purse. I would I would do all this. And I and I do not moralize with them at all. I say, yep, yeah. and I write it down and I write it up on the board. Yes, yes, okay. Writing all the ideas down. And then I say, Well, what should you do? And then one one person said, oh, um, well, do you know what I would do, sir? What you should do? Well, maybe make money off the ring and we'll give it to the homeless and we'll give it to the poor. You know, so the moralize themselves, you know, with what would you do and what should you do? You know, two simple questions. Brilliant. Yes. Yes. Brilliant. And, and, and that's what it is. And I, I'm giving them the opportunity to do that, you know, and, and the people out there, you know, try it, try the wood and the shoot. It works beautifully. It really does. And it's just two words. That's all it is to moralize with children because children will want to, they will want to, to get um, the chocolates and, and they'll Naturally. want to yeah. games and they'll want, they'll want to do, do things that, that are exciting and, and they wouldn't get to do them, you know. But that's the beauty of this philosophy. Um, this, is, this, is what, this is what we're doing with, the, with them. We, we are bringing them. I mean, I could talk forever, Kevin, but I'm aware that we should kind of hold back a little bit and, and get some, capture some life lessons learned. Because yeah. there are so many, you have, you have a head full of stories uh, and I could hear your stories forever. I'm still thinking of a little four-year-old talking about life. <laughs> I'm a better woman than that, but I'll tell, we'll, we'll, we'll leave at the end of the day. Well, I mean, we can, we can talk and talk and talk, but, but let's just, you know, you, you are managing these little children to become Plato's, all of them. The reason the film is called Young Plato is because you want all these young boys to grow up into being philosophers and thinkers and self-confident and yeah. having strong values, which they instill in themselves yeah. with the help of the adults around them. Yeah. Um, but is there any, any particular kind of advice that you can give all of us listeners, for those yes. of us who are young children, even if you're not a teacher, yeah. Many of us were parents of young children. What yeah. is it that we can do? Yeah, I, I think I think what what's very 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 important is that um, as 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 adults and and, and as children, um, we we all have different stories and we all have different narratives and we all have different cultures and different different identities. And I think it's very important. And what I would I would teach the, the children here in Holy Crosses is to learn to disagree with empathy. Um, you, you, you don't have to agree, but you have to understand. You have to understand where, where, where people are coming from. And uh, in, in here, I talk to children about multiple identities. We all have multiple identities, okay? My multiple identity is that I'm a principal, I'm a father of four girls, I'm a martial art black belt five times over, I have a wee dog called San, I... I love boys, uh, uh, obviously teaching, I'm, I'm all into philosophy, you know, and you would say, well, do you know Kevin McAreevy? No. He's a Celtic supporter? No. He's Mario de Grania? No. He was in Young Plato? Yes, of course, I know him. Well, what's happened is they've gone through my multiple identities to get to who I am. So we're talking to children saying, listen, 
Look for the multiple identities. Look for the commonplace. Religion is just one multiple identity. And I'm hoping that all of the listeners out here uh, understand that conversations and relationships unlock opportunities. I had a conversation with your husband, right? I wouldn't be here if I didn't, right? And that relationship has now unlocked an opportunity. You know, for somebody listening to me and you today saying, wow, I'm going to use that. Or that was great. I'm going to take that on board because that's what that's what it does. Conversations and relationships. And, I, and, and I'm saying to the children, you know, why can you not be a thinker like Rosa Parks or like Gandhi or like, um, you know, someone influential in the world? Because you can. You can change the world with your thinking. Because how do we change the way we feel? We change the way we think. And what we're doing here in Holy Cross Boys, the philosophy of what we're doing, Smitha, is we are creating successful children who are wise and kind. Just like every person who's listening or watching this wants for their children. And in fact, wants for themselves too, I was going to say. Yes. It's not just for their children. You know, there might be many people who don't have children who might be only in their 20s. Yeah. Uh, starting out their lives and questioning and where am I going? And it really is thinking about the fact that we do have multiple identities. We can accept all these multiple identities. Yes. And, and move on. And actually, the idea of philosophy is brilliant. Oh, I could talk forever, Kevin. But <laughs> Kevin, thank you so very much sharing your not, not a problem and can i just say to to all of the the viewers that yet my favorite elvis song is if i can dream and the reason it's in that movie is if you look at the words the words are all about bringing people together as one and that song is based on the martin luther king i have a dream and which is why and i'm thank you for bringing that up because um for those of us who did not notice i did we have Elvis Presley right behind you. Uh, <laughs> handsome face to all of us. Um, for those of us who are seeing it on, on video, you will also see Elvis Presley's face. Um, for those of us who don't, and I didn't realize it was connected to Martin Luther King's song, I mean, uh, speech. So thank yeah. you for that. Yes, brilliant. Well, no problem. So I, I, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for, for indulging me and um, for, for listening to the story that, that we have from, from the young Plato um, film, which you, you rightly said at the very, very outset of this podcast, which is about looking at hope, peace and reconciliation, because that's what we're all about. Thank you. There must be lights burning brighter somewhere. Got to be birds flying higher. In a sky more blue If I can dream of a better land Where all my brothers walk hand in hand Tell me why, oh why, oh why Can't my dream come true Oh why There must be peace and understanding Sometime strong winds of promise that will blow away the doubt and fear. If I can dream 
of a woman's son Where hope keeps shining on everyone Tell me why, oh why, oh why Won't that sun appear We're lost in a cloud With too much rain We're trapped in a world That's trouble with pain But as long as a man Has the strength to dream He can redeem his soul And fly Deep in my heart There's a trembling question Still I am sure that the answer, answer's gonna come somehow Out there in the dark, there's a beckoning candle listening to stories seldom told. I am Smitha Tharoor. It is you, the listener, that makes this podcast what it is. If you like this podcast, please do share. If any of you anywhere in the world feel that you have stories to share, please do connect with me on social media at Smitha Tharoor on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or on my company page, Tharoor Associates on Facebook. We will be back next week.